Mindless Can, the podcast with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. Welcome to another episode of the Kindness Can podcast. It's so wonderful to have you with us today, and it's wonderful to have, as always, Jane Lily Thomas. Good morning, Jane. Hello, my love. So nice to be with you. Uh, and you. And it's so wonderful to be inviting Nick and Zama onto the show, a personal growth coach, agent for transformation, and more recently, community hero and diplomat for change. Nick, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Dane. And good morning to all the listeners. Wow, that's a pretty beautiful title, Paulie. The, all those words describing Nick, I'm like, ching, ching, ching. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> can, we have some more, up, can we have some more <laughs> of Nick? Um, Nick, it's been a month since the violence and looting really disrupted our beautiful province. Talk us through your experience of, of that moment. Well, it was actually a bit of a, a shocker because one expected a one-day stay-away and with the history of this country, we all know what stay-aways are and you know that it becomes a bit chaotic and it becomes maybe a bit of tear gas there and there and what if you, and that's maybe the extreme that we've seen. So that then turned to a day, two days, three days, four days of a nightmare, an entire week of a nightmare that we all didn't anticipate. So one was sitting at home, obviously trying to make sure that the family is safe and what have you. And then the next thing you're seeing on the news that people are being killed. Then you see fires, people's businesses, people's livelihoods being destroyed, people's lifetime investments being destroyed in one go. And one couldn't just sit back and relax and watch it. You know, whether you just sit at home and watch people dying or, or watch people's um, investments go up in flames, um, one had to do something. And the question was why? So how, what did you do? I mean, from going and sitting where a lot of us were, watching our beautiful hometown be destroyed and broken and the devastation, how do you move from that feeling of helplessness into hopefulness? I think it's in, firstly, it's in the nature of the person that I am in any situation. I mean, there's uh, my son likes saying that you throw that to the wolves, you'll come back leading the pack. Um, the type of person that I am is that I always like to find solutions. I don't like people who dwell too much on problems. I always say I don't like problem spotters. You need to be a problem solver and then being a problem spotter. So for me, when I realized what was going on, it was a matter of obviously one is challenged. We all have our own challenges. Before COVID, the country was going through a recession and then we got hit by COVID badly. And then now, you know, you're sitting at home, twiddling your thumbs, trying to think, how am I going to make it work? And then this thing happens. So what can I do? And then obviously the first point is how do we diffuse? How do you de-escalate the situation in your own backyard? So first point of call was the Asagai Neighborhood Watch, who were phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal in terms of let's engage the communities. Who can we engage? Can you actually find people? So when I, I got to them and they were like, Nick, you know what? If we can help de-escalate the situation, please do who can we engage, you know, so then we engage the taxi guys, we engage the community leaders, the indunas, um, we engage community activists, um, counselors, um, local business people, we all said, what, how can we actually do it? So the, it was not, 
a Nick Zama moment, but it was rather a, a unity moment where black and white came together to say, how do we protect Border Hill and Hillcrest? You know, what can we do? So obviously there were tensions brewing. I mean, uh, uh, we were actually literally on the verge of a, our own chaos on this slide because when we invite, the first person we invited to come was the chairperson, deputy chairperson of the Taxi Association. And he, as he went through the road blockade in Porters Hill, one of the guys from the other neighborhood watch pointed a gun at him. In fact, one of the residents who had come out, it wasn't a guy we discovered, it wasn't actually, he wasn't part of the neighborhood watch, pointed a gun at him. He was so upset. It was at night and he called me whilst the gun on his, was on his face. He said, you better tell those lungus right now. And he can't even speak English properly. He was saying, you better tell those, these lungus now to take their uh, guns or put, put their guns away because I've got my hand on my gun right now. And if I pull it out, I'm not going to point. So we went from that point to a communication that then, that same evening, he came, he was let through, he came to us, we sat down and we said, guys, we cannot do it this way. If we are going to block roads, let's make sure that we are actually blocking criminals, not blocking innocent residents, and make sure that we're not blocking based on color. So mm -hmm. our blockades became about good versus bad, not white versus black or black versus white. So we actually became strategic in that we targeted cars with no number plates, with a lot of people in them, especially buckies and combis. And then the taxi association said all their taxis had to stop so that we could make sure that we, we are not getting confused in the process. So in any taxi person, the taxi association made a ruling that any taxi that is caught transporting looters will be banished from the association. So we, we went from that, then we engaged the other, the neighboring Embo and, and uh, Moreni and Golosi. The best way was to actually stop people from coming up altogether so that we reduced the tension. Up until that point, anybody who didn't need to come out of the valley must not come out. So until people were safe, because you had to address the safety issues. Obviously, people were feeling uneasy and you had to understand that most of the looters were black. So if white people were scared of any crowd of black people, you needed to address that without just being dismissive. But also you needed to address black people from being angry because certain people had been shot. Black people who were now angry because people had been shot. You know, and there were three guys that had been shot in the area. And apparently the, the whole thing was that some of the guys that were shot were shot not on the road, not on somebody's property or somebody's shop or, having, or carrying looted goods. One of the guys was actually shot in the back. So we had to stop that from actually escalating into what we saw in Phoenix. Yeah, I think you're saying some really hard things to hear. It's hard to kind of revisit those moments in, in my mind uh, and how traumatic that was for everyone in the situation. It was such a tense time for our city. And it, yeah, it's hard not to get a lump in your throat as we kind of revisit some of those images. But I think what stands out for me while you're talking is that your and the people that you were working with, its ability to, to hold some of those feelings for different people in that moment and, and hear what those feelings were, because I'm sure without oversimplifying a very complex problem, yeah, there were different fears and concerns coming from all sorts of directions. Mm. There were a lot of fears um, and we had to address them. And I think the first thing is being able to let people express their true emotions. I think in this country, we've got this thing of trying to be politically correct and we're not wanting to call a spade a spade when it comes to pain situations. And then that is why we're not able to sort things out and things take forever to be sorted out. So it, what we were able to achieve was for 
call their feelings out and actually say this was their fear. And for, for residents to actually say this is what we fear, for the people from the valley to actually say this is what we fear. But in the middle of that, of all those fears, somebody had to be the voice of reason and say, yes, we hear you, but these are the facts. Let us actually learn to actually distinguish from fiction from fact. Mm. And um, I mean, stories like there's thousands of people coming to attack residents and residential mm. areas. And what if you, a simple fact that I had to get my neighbors to realize that, listen, mm. guys, I grew up in the area. You know, I happen to have been uh, raised in a chicken farm below Kersby and whilst going to school in the Valley. So I had an understanding of both say, guys, I hear your concerns. I hear your fears. But listen, the people around here, we are surrounded not by migrant labor areas. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but not by townships. We're surrounded by rural areas. So these people, if Bill Christian Border still burns, that's the only place they have. There's no other place that they can run to. When because people who sometimes, uh, people who live in other areas, people who don't live in rural areas, you find that they've got another home elsewhere. So we, we, the place that we call Emakaya. So if you're... Uh, if you are renting in a township somewhere, so if the township burns, you you most likely have a, another home in Zululand or um, in Zimkulu or wherever. The guys that live in Wanyusa, Embong, Golosi, they live there and that is where they are actually based and that, that is their only home they have. So mm-hmm. if the jobs and their work, the places of work get destroyed, they've got no other place to run to. And that's the mm-hmm. same message we have to carry through to the communities. Guys, if both of and Hillcrest burn, where will you work? Where will mm-hmm. you shop? Yeah. Other shops in the valley had gone. So there was no more places to shop. There were no more places to, 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 to buy groceries or to even get first aid or medical help or anything. So we had to put a stop to it. So it took us a day, but within that day, by Wednesday morning, we already had Border Source Spa open, operating. Mm-hmm. The other That's... thing we had to dispel, there was a, sorry, there was a myth now that the spas and the shops in the area were only serving white communities and not black communities. And again, we had to address some of those issues that if you are saying you're serving residents only, how do you know a black person is a resident of the area? Because a white person, you definitely know that you definitely don't know whether they're resident or non-resident. You automatically assume because you're white, you're a resident. And if you're black, you automatically assume. So we had to stop that as well and say, guys, it can't be based on that. So we need to just help people who need help. If If your shop is open, let people be helped. Service stations. They were helping first responders. And unfortunately, most of the first responders were white. So when a black person comes through and they they may or may not be a first responder, they're seeing a whole bunch of people being white people being serviced at a service station. They automatically assume, oh, these people are only serving in Lungus and not black people are being served. You know, all that needed to be communicated. It's good intentions miscommunicated. Exactly. Well, I think from my standpoint, it was really amazing to see the narrative shift in those couple of days, because from the beginning, because we so racially, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, fueled in this country, you saw the, the beginning days of it being messages of people saying, oh, they're people that are saying, uh, let's kill the whites, for example. Okay, so that was the narrative that was coming through. Then a narrative while going out on patrol, and I can tell you, Nick, I'm not great on patrol wearing all leopard print um, with leopard print sneakers, but I went out there nonetheless. But the change in narrative from being on the streets, and one of the wonderful things that came out of this time was community. But it definitely started as a narrative of stop cars that have got black people in it to hold on a minute. Let's stop cars that have no license places 
you know, things that would spark a bit of interest, so to speak. And a huge aha moment for me was phoning a friend of mine by the name of um, Mr. Zuma, not our president, obviously, ex-president, but a great friend of mine. And I said to him, how have you been? He said, Jane, I haven't left the house in five days. I said, what do you mean? He said, I can't leave the house in fear of being thought that I am a person that has destroyed property. And it broke my heart that he himself was a prisoner in his own home because of perception that all black people were going to break and destroy. And, and it certainly was like that. I mean, even when I left the house, my wife was actually fearful. She said, but what if they shoot you and think you are a looter? Because, yeah. you know, in, our, yeah. in, in the neighborhood watch groups, there's always this suspicious BM walking down the road, you know, kind of narrative, of which it's something that I've also been a part of at some stage. I had my car um, I break down on the side of the road and I was uh, I had blue security defend on me because I was said to be a suspicious black male, you know, and I'm a resident and I've been living in this area for years. So those things are the underlying issues because this this whole thing brought out some really bad evils that have been kind of lurking on the sidelines in our country, you know, and that so from both sides, so there was really some extreme extremists that came out and that saw an opportunity to either loot or kill, you know, and that is why for us, one of the biggest things that we had to address was the CPF matter because all neighborhood watchers supposed to um, report to or work in accordance with the law, which is guided by the CPF structures. So one of the first things that we've done as the initiative that we've now formed, which is called the Outer West Business and Community Initiative, was to strengthen the CPF make sure that the CPF is capacitated. So if this should happen again, you know, and we're trying by all means to make sure that it doesn't happen, but if it were to happen again, there are people who respond, people who de-escalate, people who are there to actually make uh, work with the security forces are people that will be making sure that they're de-escalating the situation, not escalating. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think fear, and there was a lot of fear in, in mm. that moment uh, all around, can be such a destructive emotion when we act from that, that fear uh, because yeah, fear often results in us wanting to oversimplify things, put things in, in boxes because that makes it, I don't know, easier to manage, uh, safer, simpler to, to understand. But we see how those oversimplifications and generalizations and stereotypes, okay, as a country, we need to find ways to to move past that fear so that we don't fall into that into that trap because it causes more problems for us and i think the organization the initiative that you've started by bringing all different stakeholders together allows people to talk and transcend those walls and transcend those fears and i'm sure what you've discovered and i'd love to hear some of the things you've discovered but on the other side of those walls People really just want the same things, don't they? Well, it is absolutely true. Everybody wants the same thing. And I think the biggest problem we have, and I I mean, I had another institute that was saying that what has become problematic for anybody to stand up and do good in this country is that whenever you try and do good and you try to shine, you're bound to find somebody who's going to remember what you did in 1910, Mm. you know, and some kind of dirt is going to come out on you and try and character assassinate you and what have you. So people have all kinds of fear. You might not be physically harming people, but we've become such a destructive country that we're always trying to either character assassinate or literally kill people. 
killing and murder has become such an easy thing in our country. If you look at the crime stats this year, it's actually shocking, you know, to look at the brutality, the things that, so certain people think, yeah, no, just because I'm, I'm not killing people. But then if you are actually going out there and destroying people's characters, if you're going out there and actually destroying the character of South Africa, you're just as bad as those people out there because we need to be building this country. And actually building a country is not just for ourselves. We need to be planting trees. One of the guys in my committee says, we need to be planting trees now. That will be, the shade will be set on by our children or our children's children, the next generation. So we need to be looking at things from that perspective. Because if we carry on in the way that we're carrying on, trust me, we're not going to get anywhere fast. I've looked at whilst we were going through this whole um, looting spree, which is wrong, and we cannot be using that to justify. But look at what the problems that other countries are having. Most countries around the world have got their own problems. You know, even before that, would you have ever imagined that Americans would actually attack their own capital? In which generation? So we need to be looking at the world that we live in right now and say, how do I become part of the solution, not part of the problem? Because everybody now lives in fear. And most people then have what you call a knee-jerk reaction. So most people, like you were talking, that you actually had to go out on patrol. It was a knee-jerk reaction. It was not a strategic move, but it was a knee-jerk reaction. Trying Why? Because you feared for your family. You feared for your life. So what do you do? You do what's closest to you then. Took us a day or two to actually realize that, you know what? There's no one on our side. The police are not there. The army is not there. Even most of the security companies, I'm sorry to say, but they were nowhere to be found. So who was there? It was us as people. That is the one thing we achieved through this. So we learned that we should not be fearing each other as much as we do based on this, on this, mm-hmm. on our skin colors. Mm-hmm. We learned that the taxi people are actually the biggest army we have in this country, you know, because they were the people who were able to say, you know what, if the police are not there, we are going to do it. And amazingly enough, the narrative around the taxi industry has shifted so much since the looting. So if there's one thing that we've learned out of this is that the amount of fear we have about each other as people based on color is actually a narrative that is stirred by certain forces that want to see us divided as a country. And we cannot carry on to allow this. Yeah, well, you're speaking our language. You know, we go out every single day uh, and talk about how much we have in common. Because we believe that like kindness and love, those things, they translate creed and denomination, race and religion. Uh, and it's so powerful when you sit in a room and you see a, a mixed room of beautiful South African people, especially when you go into like high schools or whatever, and you say, who here wants to be happy? And the whole room picks their hand up. You say, put your hand down. Who here wants to be successful? And the hands go up. And you just keep firing these questions. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, you like me. Different, but also so the same. And that for me, I mean, I've got goosebumps. Say, Paulie, we do this work every single day. I can't help but be moved by that concept and that, that reality. That is the reality. Nick, if someone wants to be part of the solution and they want to get involved in the work that you are doing, how do they get hold of you? How can they be part of that? Where can I sign I up is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, the simplest way at the moment is to get into our Facebook page, which is the Outer West Business and Community Initiative Facebook page. And Caitlin De Beer is the one who's actually in charge of our communications. 
So either via her private Instagram and Facebook accounts or via the Outer West Business Community Initiative. Right now, we're really trying to spread love. And the way that we actually are trying to do that is to make sure that we coordinate with existing NPOs that are actually reaching out into the, community, into the communities. Because one of the things we've realized as well is that a lot of the narrative is then pushed by people who say, uh, who don't want to talk about the goodness that is being done. So much investment is going into poor communities, but the messaging is not there. So therefore, when because we've always been on, of this notion that when you give, your left hand should not know what your right hand is giving. But however, you need to know that if you, as Paul, go and feed a thousand orphans in the valley and you don't talk about it, when you swear at somebody and call them the K-word, everybody will talk about it. So therefore, we need to start talking about the goodness that is done. And I'm so happy that East Coast is actually doing something like this that is being done in communities because my, one of the biggest problems I have is with our media, that our media highlights so much of the bad that exists in our communities that the goodness that is there, the Ubuntu spirit is hardly ever spoken about. So we're trying to coordinate and say, how do we communicate better the good initiatives that are being done into communities, into the poor communities, and make sure that we blow the trumpet as hard as we can. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I go out every day and I'm a messenger for saying I've been with East Coast Radio since 2004. And yes, the media is responsible for separating us by our differences and we build walls then, don't we? But I go out Mm. with stories of talking about how community at every turn when there is a problem and we call for help, people of every color come. Time and time again, may it be taking presence into hospitals, may it be sourcing water, may it be sourcing blankets, may it be sourcing food, whatever it is. And then you get the call saying, hi, I'm going to donate 40 grand. I don't want my name nor my business on air. And that money is in the account. And you check it. There it goes. So it is about blowing the trumpet. I agree with you. But we also believe that being kind uh, and the kind aspect is not always shouting, look at me, look at me. So I think there is a thin line between expressing and doing it from a good place that comes with not wanting the reward or the accolade, but then also doing it so that we can change the narrative. You see, my sentiments on that are that we need to start teaching our kids and we need to start setting a good example. You cannot set a good example from behind the scenes. You Mm -hmm. can only set a good example if you actually stand up front because we have actually let bad shine so much. Our kids Whenever they turn onto the news channels, newspapers, anything, it's just bad, 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 bad. So the more we, uh, and if you want to teach anybody something, you speak about that that you want them to do, not that that you don't want them to do. So we speak so much about crime in this country and so little about what Jane and Paul are doing. So what are we teaching our communities? The bad. So we need to start trumpeting more. I'll give you a good example. One of the news channels in this country actually declined in an interview that was done for about 45 minutes, um, recorded. They said, no, it's not, doesn't fit into their narrative. And the question was, what, what is your narrative? No, it's just too much of a warm, fuzzy story. What is that? Hmm. You know, so media, news channels will not broadcast. They are the ones who came hunting for me. Then they say, no, no, no. Um, actually, it's too much of a warm story. There's no, you know, they were looking for action. and, and Yeah, and, the drama and, and the divide. Yeah, and the, yeah. When it's not found, then people don't want to talk about it. That's what I'm saying. The neighborhood watchers in this area, 
every, every day. I mean, I, I've met some wonderful, magical people. You know, it makes my skin so warm <laughs> that, you know, I live in this neighborhood, you know, and it's not just me. But we need to talk about that. There might have been a few guys, three or four or five guys who did wrong things during the looting in terms of uh, from the neighborhood watch or the resident side. Or who may, But there are so many people who've actually gone out and given, we've given so many tons of food. A car has been sponsored for the RCPF. An office has been sponsored for our CPF, rent-free for 12 months. A cell phone has been rent- given for our CPF. More than 20 tons of food, computers, this, that, going into the communities in the space of a month. Mm. In the space of a month. You know, there is so much that has been done. People even now are sitting and saying, how do we help? How do we get involved? You know, and that does not happen because people are just, you know, they are doing it because they love this country. People are saying, how do we make sure that we, we never get into the situation again. So one of the most important things that we're doing now is actually engaging with business initiatives in the valley to say, how do we create employment locally for our local people? How do we create entrepreneurship opportunities for our local people? And all of us are not perfect. All of us have wronged somebody at some point. So when you're doing something, you're just paying it back. You're just making sure that whenever you get a chance to do good, you do good. Because in one way or the other, at some point, you step on somebody's toe, with intentionally or unintentionally. So do good whenever you get a chance to do good. Preach, brother, preach! Uh, Woo! <laughs> we, live, we live in such a beautiful province. And yeah, yes. we, we've got our stuff. And I think, Nick, it's clear from this conversation that we need to talk about that stuff. That's part of the solution. Uh, we've got to sit around the table and really talk through this stuff. But we live in such a beautiful province. And Nick and Zama, you are part of that. And so thank you for the amazing work that you are doing along with your initiative. And I can't wait to sign up and get involved. Fantastic. Looking forward to seeing you around. Uh, we're doing some amazing things. We've just had a 4 by 4 ride with uh, Craig from Leonard. We arranged a 4 by 4 for good into the valleys. And uh, we distributed even more food parcels. Kersney College has been a absolutely amazing for hosting all the community meetings that we've been hosting so they're not just some private school and the top of the hill they've been a Mm -hmm. part of ensuring that the community is united and that has been heartwarming to see a lot of individuals i don't know i couldn't even begin to thank everybody for just doing what they're doing but for you guys for me i still say again as a media house carry on doing the good that you're doing we need more of this kind of stuff we need more of this positive stuff we need to unite our people, not divide our people. We have so much more in common as a people than we have different. Absolutely. Leaving you with the words that really move me time and time again is uh, that us as South Africans get the opportunity to walk each other home. And um, I look forward to walking home with you soon, Nick. Lots of love to you, Paulie. Lots of love to you, Nick. Have a beautiful day. We'll connect really soon. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.